Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, the host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I'm glad you found This Week in the Word. You found it, by the way, at www.dredhill.podbean.com. Hope you'll share that with someone as well. Well, we have come to Revelation, God Rules, Episode 3, The Rapture of the Church, the episode for Sunday, January 22nd, 2023. As we said in the very first episode of God Rules, the book of the Revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ is about Jesus Christ, not the Antichrist. Yet people think sometimes more about him when they think of the book of the Revelation than they do about our wonderful Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ rules. He's God, not the Antichrist. A good biblical outline for the entire book is given to us by the Lord Jesus himself right there in chapter 1. The book of the Revelation looks at what was, what is, and what is to come. So clearly, much of the book of the Revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, much of that is prophecy about the future. That cannot be escaped. Now, I can't redo hours and hours of podcast content. I invite you to listen to all, I think it's 219 episodes that are posted on This Week in the Word. They're all free and you can listen to those and catch up with us. But I'm going to try to hit a few highlights to help us today as we look at the book of the Revelation. One thing you have to keep in mind when you're looking at Bible prophecy is God says there are three types of people in the world. Did you know that? There are Jews, there are Gentiles or non-Jews, and then there's the church which is one new man. If you could keep that straight, that the Jews are the Jews, the Gentiles are the Gentiles, and the church is the church, and you don't mix them all together, and they're all the same thing, because they're not. If you keep that straight, then Bible prophecy is fairly simple. But if you mix it up, if you miss it, if you get it wrong at the outset, and you think when it says, Uh, the Jewish people or Israel, that it means the church. And when it says the church, it means the Jewish people. And uh, for example, that the Gentiles include (laughs) the Jews in the church. Uh, Listen, you cannot get it mixed up like that. Keep it straight and prophecy is somewhat easier. Where do I get that from? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32 the Apostle Paul writes this verse. And I'm not going into what he was talking about, but I just want to give you the verse. In verse 32 of 1 Corinthians 10, give none offense. That is, don't offend anybody. Don't go out of your way to um, irritate them. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. They're not all the same. They're distinct. Now, the idea of the rapture, you will hear people who are violently misinformed say, well, the rapture is not even in the Bible. Well, the word in English is not there, but the Greek word certainly is. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 17, the Greek word harpazo 
is a Greek word. I mean, it's not like a special word about the rapture of the church. It's a Greek word, and it means to violently uh, seize someone, violently grab someone, violently remove or snatch someone. Get, get the picture in your mind if you see your child in the path of an oncoming car. What are you going to do? You're going to run out, and you're going to harpazo them. You're going to grab them, snatch them, remove them. The Latin word is where we get our English word rapture from. I'm no expert on Latin, but I believe the Latin word for the same Greek word is rapturo. That's where we get the word rapture from. Now, the rapture is a real thing, and I'm going to show you that here as we run through this pretty quickly. But if you're not biblically informed, that is, everything you know is because someone else told you that, but you don't know the Bible yourself, you're going to say the idea of the church being taken out of the world at some point as as a you know a major event you're going to say this sounds crazy has it ever happened before well not a mass event but people individually have been raptured before let me run through the ones that I'm aware of maybe there are others in the bible that I I forgot about or missed but these are the ones I remember in genesis 5 verses 21 to 24 God is giving a list in Genesis 5 of, uh, and he lived X number of years and he died, you know, which reinforces Genesis 3 that, that Adam and Eve, when they fell, now they would die. Satan said they wouldn't. Oh, yes, they do. And so you have this long list of he, he was born, he lived X number of years, and he died. Right in the middle of that, In verse 21, we read this, And Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. Now, by the way, interesting thing here. The name Methuselah means when he dies, it shall come. And it's talking about the flood, Noah's flood. Enoch lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Now, the way it should end, if it was just he lived and he died, is it say, uh, you know, in days of Enoch were 365 years and he died. But it doesn't say that. Everybody else in chapter 5 lives and dies. Enoch didn't die. It says clearly, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Hmm. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, and then skipping down in that chapter to verses 11 and 12, we read this, and it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind, that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. And it came to pass, as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. 
and he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. So here's Elijah. He's not dead. In fact, they search for him. They never find his body. Why? Because God took him living into heaven. That certainly would count as a rapture event. Mark 16, verse 19. Now, the Lord has been crucified, dead, buried, and resurrected. He's appeared to the disciples, and he's now going to ascend back into heaven, okay? Mark 16, verse 19. So then, after the Lord has spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And we know that that he was... The only word I can think of that, that is a great description is he was raptured. He, he ascended visibly in their sight into the clouds and into heaven. That certainly would give us a picture of someone being raptured, right? Same idea. Luke 24, verse 51. And it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. So it's Luke's more detailed description of the same event when the Lord ascended. Well, we're going to ascend one day as the church if we are living when the Lord raptures the church. Now in John 14, John, the same John who wrote the book of the Revelation under the inspiration of the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Lord gave it to him and inspired him by his Holy Spirit. In John 14, Jesus shares with the disciples something that we do not see anywhere else in the Gospels. And this was a new revelation. Many people believe he's talking about the rapture of the church. In John 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus says, and this is on the night of his betrayal, he will, he will very soon go to the garden and be betrayed. But notice he takes time to tell the disciples this. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. That word place is where we get our word topography from. It is a literal place, a place. Get that in your head. Not a state of existence, a place. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. So he, he, he uh, catches us up to himself. Now watch this. Listen carefully. That where I am, where is that? Where he's going to the Father's house where he's, there are many mansions, and he's prepared a place for us, okay? Right? That's where he's been. He comes back and gets us, 
and he doesn't come with us to the earth, which we know that happens in the return of Christ, the second coming, in this description he's giving, it is a different event. How do we know that? Because he says that where I am, there ye may be also. See, if he was just coming to the earth, he would come to us. Some people talk about a uh, post-tribulation rapture. We go up to meet him in the air and we return to the earth with him. But right here, we're not going to the earth with him. We're going back to where he came from, the Father's house, the many mansions, and preparing a place for us. How could it not be more clear? Acts 1, verses 9 through 11. This is a another what we could call a rapture-type event. And... Um, well, well, let me restate that. This, is, this again is the ascension of the Lord in Acts 1, 9 through 11. But let's read that. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So he's, he's coming back to rapture us, and that rapture, that same idea is here as he ascends from the earth. Do you see that? All right, Acts 8, verses 39 and 40. Now, this is someone else. This is Philip. And when they were come up out of the water, so he's, he's just baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, okay, that he led to the Lord. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. You know, he had just gotten saved, and he, he witnessed Philip being raptured, right? But Philip was found at Azotus, and that was quite a ways away. He didn't walk there. He was picked up and put there. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. So Philip had a rapture-type event which transported him to another city where he continued preaching Jesus. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 to 52, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes about the rapture. This is often read at funerals, but this is about the rapture of the church and the resurrection associated with that. Behold, I show you a mystery. So this is something that has been concealed, but now he, he blows it wide open that we can all know about it, all right? Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. So this means that 
there will be a generation of Christians that comprise the true church of the Lord that will not die. They will be living when the rapture happens. That's what he's talking about. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That is instantly transformed. So let me read it again. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So your loved ones who love the Lord have passed away already. Their spirit and soul is with the Lord right now. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? That's in the Bible. But their bodies are still in the grave. The Lord will resurrect those bodies and transform them. And we will be transformed as well. Wow. First Thessalonians 4 verses 13 to 18. Now we're going to get to Revelation, but I'm laying the I'm laying a a, uh, <laughs> a a landing strip and a takeoff strip big enough for a C5A prophetically, okay? First Thessalonians 4 verses 13 to 18. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. He's talking about Christians who've already died before the rapture, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. Now, the Christian is sorry when a loved one dies, right? But it's not like lost people. I don't know if you've been to very many funerals of lost people. Whoa, there is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth at many of those that you do not generally see at a Christian funeral. Why? Because they have no hope. But Christians do. Amen? Verse 14, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So notice, they've died, but to to the Lord, I mean, that's like us just being asleep, no big deal, Right? They've died, their bodies are in the grave. They are with the Lord. How do we know that? Because he will bring them with him. Think about that. Think that through. How's that possible? Well, I explained it a minute ago. Verse 15, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord. So listen, people, get this straight. Bottom line up front, when well-meaning but ignorant people tell you there is no rapture, it's not in the Bible, it's not gonna happen, or uh, they try to say, well, yeah, it's going to be at the end of the tribulation, all that. No, it's not. Listen, let's just see what the word of the Lord is. Verse 15, 1 Thessalonians 4, 15. For this we send to you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent that is like go before, shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ 
shall rise first. <laughs> then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, harpazo. We shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now watch this. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. I think that takes in that same idea that where I am, there ye may be also. It doesn't say we're going to meet him and come right back to the earth. That we're going to be with the Lord. Verse 18. Now this is, this is really important right here. Listen. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Listen. What comfort is there in saying, well, I know I'm a Christian, but I know that I'm going to face the wrath of God in the tribulation. There's no comfort in that. The comfort is that, we, that our loved ones who've died before the rapture of the church, they're not lost. They're going to be raised, reunited with, with spirit and soul, with a brand new body. And then we're going to be caught up and get a brand new body and we're all going to heaven. That's the comfort about our loved ones who've died and about us. All right, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together, that's a, a word often used, a phrase for the rapture, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as there were, there were fake letters going around, as that the day of Christ, and this is talking about the like the day of the Lord, the tribulation, as that the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first. Now, this word apostasia, falling away, some say it refers to the rapture. I guess it could. I've always understood it to talk about the defection from the true Christian faith, and man, is that ever happening around us? Except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worship, or, or so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God, which of course the Antichrist is not but he tries to tell everybody that he is. Verse five, remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth. There's something that is restraining, something that is preventing the Antichrist from being revealed and coming to power. And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. See, if it was up to the devil, he'd be revealed today, but it's not time yet, although that day may be fast approaching. Verse seven, for the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he, and I believe this is referring to the Holy Spirit who indwells the church, the bride of Christ, only he who now letteth, that means prevents or restrains, 
Only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And when the church is raptured, now the Holy Spirit does not leave the world. He is definitely at work on the earth during the tribulation because many more will come to Christ during those awful seven years. But his restraining ministry through the church is just blocking, holding back Satan bringing the Antichrist to power. But when that restraining ministry is no longer exercised by the Holy Spirit through the church, then man, the world better watch out. Verse eight, and then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. In other words, they rejected Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. Verse 11, and for this cause... God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. And Greek is believe the lie about the Antichrist, that he's God. That they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now watch verse 13. But we, who's that? Christians. But we... Notice it's they, 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 but now it's we. But we are bound to give thanks always, always to God for you, brethren beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. That's the idea of deliverance through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Now we're almost done reading these and we're gonna go to Revelation. Titus 2, verses 11 to 13. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope. That is, that is another name for the rapture. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The blessed hope. I'm going to give you an example of this from the Old Testament. Although the rapture, the rapture is not taught in the Old Testament, we, we had examples of that happening, for example, to Elijah but let me give you two more. Noah, remember Noah and the ark and the flood? And you remember Lot being delivered from Sodom and Gomorrah, that wicked city, the wicked cities? Noah and Lot did not suffer the judgment they were delivered from. In other words, Noah didn't drown and Lot didn't get burned up. They were delivered from that. Now, 
the next prophetic event is the rapture of the church. It is the 70th prophetic week of years of the book of Daniel. Now, this is stuff you're going to have to listen to my other podcasts and understand it. So it's 69 of those prophetic weeks of years. What is that? 483 years have been fulfilled historically. We can we could go through it. It's all been done. But one of those weeks is missing, and it's the 70th week that has never been fulfilled. In the Old Testament, this same period of time is called the time of Jacob's trouble. Who is Jacob? He's Israel. Remember that? The time of Jacob's or the time of Israel's trouble. This all happens while the church enters heaven and we receive our crowns, our rewards. Now, sometimes people who argue against a pre-tribulation rapture, they dismiss what I'm about to say, but it's pretty strong, so I'm going to tell it to you. The Greek word ecclesia is used for the church. Now, she used other ways too, like an assembly, like a political assembly of citizens. So it's, it's called out ones. It's a, it's a gathering. But in the book of the Revelation, Ecclesia is used, get this, 22 times. I counted every one of them. 20, in the Greek, 22 times Ecclesia is used in Revelation chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. In fact, in chapters 2 and 3, it's used 19 of those 22 times. You remember the churches, the church at Philadelphia, the church at Thyatira that we talked about last week? It's, if you, I'm not going to do it, but you can say church 22 times, all right? And then, almost without explanation, the church, the ecclesia, is not seen again for 15 chapters. Now, don't you find that unusual? Church, 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 churches. And then it's not mentioned for 15 chapters until you get to Revelation 19, where we see the church, the bride of Christ, returning with Christ to take over the earth. And then it appears one more time. Uh, I think it's in Revelation 22. I'm pretty sure about that. So just so you know, I'm so pre-tribulation and pre-millennial that I don't eat post-toasties. <laughs> That's an old, old preacher joke. All right. So here we are at Revelation. Revelation chapter 3, verses 7 through 13. Well, Pastor Ed, we covered that last week. You'd be right. But we will cover part of it again. And there's a reason for that, because I, I mentioned it last week, but it did not go into detail. I believe it's pretty easy to see the flow of history that the seven churches were not only actual real churches at the time Revelation was written, but they describe the church, the flow of church history through the ages up until this present time. I think we're in the Laodicean period.
period of the church, a church which is nauseating to the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's still Philadelphia remnant churches who love the Lord and love his word. And we're still winning souls, sending out missionaries and, and you know, growing people in the faith. That's the church I'm part of, the Philadelphia church. Maybe you attend a Laodicean church, but in your heart, you're a Philadelphia church. Hey, try to find you an actual Philadelphia church, all right? But if there's none in your area, do not give in to the Laodicean church. You continue to be a Philadelphia-type believer. But the Philadelphia church is promised something that none of the other seven was promised, and it's not seen anywhere else that I can think of in the Bible. This is a really unique promise. Revelation 3, 7 to 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door. Now, now, just make a mental note of that phrase, open door. I've set before thee an open door. Well, this is a door for ministry. And no man can shut it, for thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and hast not denied my name. Did you know that more and more so-called churches today that formerly were true to the faith are now denying the very word of God and they deny the Lord Jesus Christ himself? This is shocking. Jesus predicted it and it's predicted in the book of the Revelation and we are seeing it right in front of our own eyes. And it is grieving to us who love the Lord and his word. All right, verse nine. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I will make them to come and worship before thy feet and to know that I have loved thee. The church around the world and even in the United States we are becoming persona non grata, means we are people who are not welcome here anymore. That's what that means. Many believers are paying for that around the world with their jobs, um, with their, their health, they're being imprisoned. Many are being murdered because of Jesus Christ. They are martyrs for Christ. This is starting to happen in the United States. Now, we're not at the murder us point yet, but it could happen. And I want you people who mock the pre-tribulation rapture who say, you just don't want to go through suffering and persecution. Hear me well. The church in America 
is already starting down that slippery slope of persecution leading to being imprisoned for our faith, tortured for our faith, and probably murdered for our faith. Now that might not happen next week, next year, or even the next decade. I don't know the timing of God, but if there's not a revival, we're heading down that that pathway. And that could happen before the rapture of the church. So when you say you just don't want to suffer, I'm saying probably if the, if the rapture doesn't happen pretty soon, we probably are going to suffer. That does not change a pre-tribulation rapture of the church. And by the way, for those of you who boast so loudly that, that you know there's no rapture before the tribulation and you'll proudly suffer for the Lord, friends, you just remember Peter's example and shut your mouth. All righty then, let's go to, and I love that part about he's going to make these folks, uh, you know, not the people who argue about the rapture or not, but the people who reject Jesus, reject his word. He's going to make them come and worship before our feet, just basically saying, you were right. You were totally right. <laughs> well, we know we are. And one day you'll know it too. Because the Lord Jesus Christ loves Christians. Now, he, he wants to save everybody, but when you start persecuting his bride, the bride of Christ, he becomes personally involved in that. He's going to make sure you know that those who love him are right. His word and those who keep his word are right. And the Christ-rejecting, Bible-rejecting world you're going to be forced to bow and admit that. And I got to admit, there's still a little the athlete and being around, I was never a soldier, but being around our family who was military and pastoring soldiers and all of that, I kind of enjoy the fact that one day people who mock us today for being Christians, you will be forced to admit it was true, you were right. <laughs> yeah. Say, well, that's kind of carnal, Pastor Ed. That's how I feel. <laughs> Isn't that cool? <laughs> oh, man. We can't do anything about it today, but one day the lost world is going to be forced to bow and say, Jesus is Lord, and you are right, and the Bible is true. Amen. But look at verse 10. This is why I did all of that, to get to verse 10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Now let's break that down. This is a very unusual promise. So because we love the Lord, we've, we've trusted him, we've honored his word, we're not perfect, but man in his power, with his strength, we're, we're doing the best we can see to do, okay? So yeah, we're not perfect. We already know that. Thank you. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from 
the hour of temptation. Now notice, and there's no way around this in Greek, notice that he will keep us from, that means out of, we're not even in it. It's not that he's keeping us during it, through it, you know, I'm with you through it, I'm gonna get you through it, I'm gonna protect you, you're gonna be all right. This says we will, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation. So we won't even be in it. That's what this is saying. Now, what is this, the hour of temptation? You can't just say, well, you know, that's like tough times, wars, persecutions. There's always been wars, tough times, and persecutions. But there's something he's talking about, the hour of temptation. It's a specific event that he has in mind. And notice that it's not something that just happens in the United States or in Israel or happened once in 1592 or anything like that. Why, do I, why am I saying that? It says, which shall come upon all the world. Think something like the flood in Noah's Ark. That came on the entire world. All the world. Something like that is going to happen in the future. I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world. So now, listen, when people try to say, oh, this happened in AD 70 when the Romans conquered Jerusalem, that didn't come on all the world. That wasn't the worst thing that ever happened in the entirety of world history. But he's talking about something that's, that I'll, I'll show you this in a minute, but something that's the worst thing that's ever happened or ever will happen in world history, and it's going to come on all the world. Well, there's never been, you know, other than the flood, which was before he said this, there's never been anything like that in the future, you know, from when he said it. Nothing like that. Not World War II, not nuclear weapons over Hiroshima or Nagasaki. That was awful there, but it wasn't all the world. Are you with me? Thank you. Now, something he tells us about this time. What is this about that's going to happen and going to come on, on all the world? It's to try them, test them, that dwell upon the earth. This word in Greek is earth dwellers. This is not coming on those who are citizens of heaven, the church. <laughs> This is not coming on those who, who love the Lord and were raptured out of it. This is coming on the people who are left there, the earth dwellers. They're all about this world, this world system, the earth, gotta live, you know, and all that, go along to get along and all that stuff. They're the targets of this. And you see that, that dichotomy, that contrast a few times through Revelation. Citizens of heaven and those who are dwellers on the earth. They're the earth dwellers. They can't see above the dirt. They don't understand God, the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus Christ, the word of God, the rapture, the tribulation. They don't understand none of this because they're earth dwellers. They can't help it. They were born that way, but they've never been born a second time because they have 
They have successfully fended off the Lord Jesus Christ trying to save them. Okay. Well, listen. I'm just, I had a couple more verses there I was going to read, but we're going to stop there because I made my point in that passage. Now, what was the thing that Jesus has talked about before that's referred to right here? Well, it's in Luke 21, verses 34 to 36. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness. That's like uh, overeating, and has the idea of just carousing, you know, just a profligate life. Surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. Now listen, here it is in verse 35, the thing he's talking about. And yet there's a group of people who won't go through that. We just read about them. For as a snare shall it come on, on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. There's that idea, again, of the people who are rooted down in this world. And it's going to come on the entire world. And it will be like a trap when it springs and you're aware of it. It's too late. You will be in the tribulation without Jesus. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. So the Lord warns about a snare, a trap that's going to spring suddenly and quickly without warning on the entire world. And that's never happened before, but it's going to. Now, let's go to Revelation 4, verses 1 through 11. So remember, John's been writing down about the churches. And uh, let me just read the last verse of Revelation 3, verse 13. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, and he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. Now, I'm sorry, uh, verse 13 is just that first phrase. I think somehow I had verse 7 added back to that. The, the verse, that's the last verse of, Philadelphia, of the Philadelphia church in 3.13 is this. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith, unto the churches. All right, so I think I got, uh, got a little bit turned around there, and I apologize for that. Let me, let me double check one thing real quick. All right, yeah, verse 13 is at the end of the Philadelphia church. Anyway, it's been church, 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 churches, right? All right, so now we go to what I'm going to call the rapture of John the Apostle. Revelation 4 Verses 1 and 2. After this, I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. That doesn't happen every day. <laughs> a door was opened in heaven. Man 
Sinful man is barred from heaven. Now there's a door opened in heaven. Wow. And the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. I think we have a picture here, whether it was physically literal or spiritual, again, of the rapture. And John the Apostle is the one involved here. I believe this is representative of at the end of the church age, the church is called up to heaven and we go up with the Lord. That's what I think. Say, well, it doesn't say that and all of that. Well, I mean, it's church, church, 22 times. Then this happens, and then we don't hear the church on the earth mentioned again until Revelation 19 when we return with the Lord from heaven to the earth. So if this isn't the rapture, how did the church get to heaven? There's no answer for that. <laughs> if we're not raptured right here, you know, I mean, if the church isn't raptured, put it like this, when people talk about where the rapture is at the end, but we come with the Lord from heaven, how did we get there? I think we got there right here. So, you could say this is a rapture of John the Apostle, which is representative or, or foretelling or foreshadowing the rapture of the church. Anyway, John ends up in heaven. And you know, it must have felt probably, it's probably going to feel to us just like it felt to John. Wait a minute. You know, one minute I'm, I'm cracking rocks on the Isle of Patmos or writing down this vision I'm given and the next minute, I'm standing in heaven. Wow. And look at verse three. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. Turn the page here. And round about the throne were four and 20 seats. And upon the seats... I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now let's stop right there just a minute. Bible students have long tried to identify who these 24 elders are. They're not angels because they're wearing crowns. The church has promised crowns for our service to the Lord. They're not Obviously not Satan or the demons because they're cast out already. Who are they? They're not the created creatures that worship the Lord. You know, who are these 24 elders? I believe they're the church. That's what I believe. Well, how'd they get there? They were raptured. Amen. 
And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Now, as we mentioned last week, there obviously are not not saying that there are seven Holy Spirits. And I showed you last week, he's referring back to the perfection, the seven descriptions of the Holy Spirit in the book of Isaiah, I think it was. But right here we see uh, an amazing thing which people have never seen before. Verse six, and before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion and the second beast like a calf. And the third beast had a face as a man and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him. And they were full of eyes within And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure They are and were created. In the book of the Revelation, from here until the return of Christ with his bride, the church, coming from heaven to take over possession of the world, to set up the millennial kingdom, ruling the world from Jerusalem, we do not see the ecclesia on earth. Though the Greek word for church is used 19 times in chapters 2 and 3 and three previous times in chapter 1 for a total of 22 times, Israel, angels, let me back up a second, it may be, twice in Revelation 1. I may have said three times, but there's one more time in Revelation 22, verse 16. So we we see Israel, angels, demons, Satan, and creatures in heaven, like the four beasts is, is what I'm talking about. And on earth, and people are mentioned in Revelation, all of those and people on earth are mentioned in Revelation 4 to 21, but the church, the ecclesia, is not mentioned on earth once. And it just had been, as we've seen in Revelation 1, 2, and 3 repeatedly. Now, why? 
Well, the church is in heaven during the tribulation, not on earth. Now, will people be saved during the tribulation? Yes, but they're not, strictly speaking, they're not part of the church, the bride of Christ, because the church age has closed and the church is absent from the earth during that time. Now, many times, those who object to the whole idea at all of a rapture or they reject a pre-tribulation rapture, they'll say that, well, the pre-tribulation rapture, they kind of diminish it, try to, by saying secret rapture. Well, I assure you, the rapture, it really won't be secret because the whole world is going to know that I think millions of people are missing and millions of graves. And the funny thing is, everybody involved in this was a Christian. <laughs> all these people are missing and all these graves are open. The world's going to know about it. And they'll come up with the UFO answers and uh, Gaia, the earth mother, whatever, cleansed herself of these wretched Christians. And I just, I don't know, alien invasion or some special weapon the enemy has, which dissolves people and whatever, you know. But it's going to be an earth-shattering event, I can assure you of that. I'm pretty sure the powers that be and Satan for sure have plenty of plausible explanations already worked out. But you'll often hear people say that the rapture is a recent invention by a actually an excellent Bible student named John Nelson Darby. And they will often also link him saying he got his ideas about it from a a young lady. And I I knew her name a few weeks ago, but I've forgotten it and I can't think where it is. But she had a vision and saw the rapture. The funny thing is, so John Nelson Darby preached and taught a pre-tribulation rapture. And this young girl referred to in the vision she had, she wrote that down two years before John Nelson, excuse me, am I getting that right? Yeah, he he gave his first, that's, that's what it was. He wrote his stuff down first and she gave it later, but her rapture she saw was a post-tribulation rapture, not a pre-tribulation rapture. They either don't know that or they don't tell you that. But uh, John Nelson Darby did not get his information from her you know, maybe she got some of hers from him. I don't know. But he was first. That's, that's the point I'm making. That, that's just a historical fact. Then they'll often say, well, all these ideas about the rapture just comes from that Left Behind series by Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins, blah, blah, blah. Left Behind books or Hal Lindsey, the late great planet Earth and all of that. People, do you know that great Bible preachers and students were preaching and teaching about the pre-tribulation rapture of the church 200 years before John Nelson Darby and certainly before Hal Lindsey or Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins. Now I'm going to fix to rock your world of the people who insist on a, a mid-trib uh, rapture or a post-trib rapture or deny it all together. This is going to rock your world. You're going to say, oh, you're lying. You made that up. Well, the pressure's on you, buddy, to go prove it. I'm not, I'm confident that I will not be misproved, disproved. So to all those objections, I say, nope. Listen carefully. 
the research ministry of a man named Ken Johnson, and you can watch his videos on YouTube. Excellent. And this guy is a true uh, researcher and theologian. Brilliant man. The research ministry of Ken Johnson, who studies all documents ancient, that is, you give, he doesn't like to read modern stuff. He likes to read old stuff in languages you and I don't even know. The research ministry of Ken Johnson over the last few years has proven beyond a doubt, listen carefully, that all, all, all of the early church fathers believed in and taught a pre-tribulation rapture and a pre-millennial return of Christ and a literal 1,000-year kingdom rule of Christ on the earth with the church from Jerusalem over the entire world. Every single church father, when you read everything they wrote in their original languages. He was, I think it's safe to say, he was stunned by this. It wasn't some or a few, it was all. I'm going to give you two examples. Irenaeus and Hippolytus. They're two of the early church fathers. Irenaeus was a disciple, a direct disciple of Polycarp. You remember the martyr that we heard about last week who followed the Lord for 86 years and was burnt at the stake and would not renounce Jesus? That Polycarp. Polycarp was a direct disciple of the apostle John who wrote the Gospel of John 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, and the book of the Revelation that we're studying now. Polycarp told Irenaeus that the view of a pre-tribulation rapture, the church would be, the church is taken away, is the way he put it, and the idea of coming out of the mist, that is, out of the mist of the lost world, that Irenaeus was told by Polycarp that the Apostle John believed this. All the disciples, the apostles believed it, and it is what the Lord taught. Hippolytus said the same thing later in that early uh, mid-second century. And the, the phrase, the church is taken away, and the church uh, coming out of the mist is referred to often by the early church fathers. And all of the early church fathers believed and taught a pre-tribulation rapture and a pre-millennial return and a literal thousand-year kingdom. Now, I'm not done. Hang in here. I'm about to make the seatbelt click. So did, according to Ken Johnson and the research he's done and he's, he's written out, and you can find a good bit of this in his little book called The Rapture. And he documents what I'm saying. So did a group called the Essenes. 
These were Bible-believing people, and they lived in the caves around Qumran because they really weren't welcome by the Pharisees, Sadducees, and all those folks, the religious crowd in Jerusalem. So they just believed God's word. They preserved the Bible, and they preserved what we call the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were discovered, I think, in 19... 19- 47, when a shepherd boy chunked a rock in a cave and heard pottery break, he went and investigated it. And long story short, the Dead Sea Scrolls, I think they ended up in the British Museum. And a lot of them remained untranslated until the last few years. And that's, by the way, the Dead Sea Scrolls confirm the translations of the Bible that we have today. Sorry to disappoint you people who doubt that. It's true. Now, I'm going somewhere with this. The Essenes in the Dead Sea Scrolls preserved books like the Book of Enoch, Ezra, the, the Apocalypse of Ezra, and the Book of Gad the Seer. Now, these are not books on, on the level of Bible and inspired scripture, but they were the writings of godly men. Guess what? (laughs) This is about to rock the world of people. All those people, hundreds of years before the Lord Jesus Christ came, they believed in a rapture. They believed in a literal return of Christ and a thousand-year kingdom. So you've got to be kidding me. How could they have known that? God told his people way, way, way back before the Essenes, and the Essenes preserved these truths, like from Enoch. Now, I'm doing a terrible job of explaining this, but go to, go to Ken Johnson's videos on YouTube, buy some of his books, and get it documented. Don't take my word for it. Go check it out. Now, if you're really astute, you should be asking, if all of this is true and it's been known for thousands of years, what happened? How can churches today deny the word of the Lord, deny the Lord himself? How can they deny Bible prophecy and the tribulation and the rapture and a literal thousand-year kingdom and an antichrist. And how can they deny all of that? Same way they did when the Lord Jesus Christ, as God, walked into Jerusalem. Jesus called the religious types blind leaders of the blind. Totally blind. Laodicean type blind. Listen, did you pay attention in Revelation 2 and 3 that it's so clear, the pattern there that we see? But what happened was this. You remember St. Augustine? We've mentioned him before. Great guy. Brain like a computer. But he made a, a major error. He tried to synthesize or mesh or meld together Greek philosophy and biblical truth, biblical theology. 
And he created a, an entire theological system from that. And what it did is the allegorical method, like everything's a symbol or a story. Like when it says the Antichrist, well, you know, there's not going to be a real Antichrist in real tribulation. He's just talking about the hard time we go through and, you know, Satan's against God and all that. No, there's going to be a real Antichrist in a tribulation period. But the allegorical method of theology is, is also a replacement theology where the church, the church takes over for Israel, Israel's the church, ah, whatever, it's all the same thing. No, it's not. Not according to First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32. Jews, Gentiles, and the church of God. Remember that? This is three groups on the earth right now, today. And there aren't any others, but they're all not the same either. They're distinct, separate groups. But under the allegorical replacement method, it almost ends up where everybody's just the same thing. And I'm telling you why. That obliterates the understanding of Bible prophecy because when you don't think, keep things neat and straight like they're supposed to be, interpreting the Bible, and especially the book of the Revelation of Bible prophecy, it's very hard. And that's what happened. Most churches today that you're aware of, I'm talking about denominations, they don't even realize this. Rather than having a biblical, literal theology, now literal allows from what's literally a symbol, we get that, but it doesn't take everything that's supposed to be literal and turn it into a symbol. And that's what that replacement theological, uh, allegorical theology does. And so most denominations are trapped in that today, and that's why so many of their priests and preachers and their seminary people just explain away and dismiss and laugh about Bible prophecy. Man, are they in for a shock. I thank you for listening today. This one's been a little long. We'll get back on track next week with a shorter one. Gold stars to you who listened all the way to the end. But uh, hey, you got the blessing, right? Thank you for listening. Like the episode, follow the podcast, share it with somebody. And if the Lord doesn't come first and I don't die first, I'll be back next week with episode four from the book of the Revelation, God Rules. Bye-bye.